0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. Let me ask God's blessing on my brother Bill. Bill's gonna be sharing God's word with you as we continue a study of First of Second Corinthians, chapter eight and nine. Uh, so, uh, will as the kids are heading out, we will prepare our hearts for His word. All right, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for what You're going to do now. I pray Your word would speak to us in a powerful way. Lord, work through Bill. Thank you for all that He's done uh, for our ministry, and now giving his life to us through the teaching of the word. God bless us as we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Bill. Morning, everybody. What a great way to kick off the message. We're singing of the goodness of God, and it is on full display this morning. My goodness, was that a blessing to you, watching people declare that they are followers of Jesus Christ? Declaring that saving grace that is alive in their lives, what a blessing. I know I'm going to go out of here bless this entire day just because of it. The goodness of God that we just sung about is on display everywhere. We have that saving grace that people talked about, but we also have that common grace that we see in the sun shining outside, trees are budding out and birds are chirping. We see common grace in this building that the Lord has given to us. We've got common grace in family that showed up here, the love that we have our health, our jobs, we've got common grace in our incomes. So much to declare the goodness of God about this morning. Amen. Yes. When we talk about our finances, that's one of those things God has blessed us with. I like to be a good steward, no pun intended. I like to be a good steward with what the Lord has blessed me with. And a lot of times I'll go online or search out different resources for how can I make the most of what God has given to me. And there's places like Smart Money or Forbes or even a Google search can show you how you can take what the Lord has given you and how you can help multiply it. You'll find things online like how to create a budget, how to stick to that budget, things like how to invest, save, plan for retirement, how to diversify those investments. But one of the things you won't see when you go and you look at finances from a worldly standpoint is giving. And similarly, if you do a search for how to grow in your spiritual life, how can I follow Jesus better? If I go out and do a search on that, I can come up with some very biblical resources. that are going to tell me how to read my Bible and apply it to my life. It's going to teach me how to pray better and more earnestly. It's going to teach me that I should be involved in a small group maybe or that I should be involved in some of the outreaches of this church. But again, one of the things that we might miss when we're looking up how to grow in our Christian life, is giving. Giving sometimes for us is like eating kale or bean sprouts. We know that we probably should, but we don't really know if there's that much benefit to it. And as we continue in this series, Overflow, we're going to see... The Apostle Paul is showing us this morning that we have to put a very high priority on giving in our Christian lives. He's going to tell us that we need to excel in giving, which means that we need to do it with abundance or with excellence. And our text this morning is only three short verses, but they're packed full of goodness in this area of giving. Last week, Dan preached. He covered the first six verses. We saw that Paul was giving us an understanding. He was giving us a lot of practical teaching teaching, on how the grace of God enables us to be generous. And in these three verses that we're going to be looking at today, verses 7 through 9, we're going to see action on Paul's part. How he's giving us an opportunity to be active in that giving and encouraging us indeed to excel in giving. See, Paul wants his audience to see the big picture of why it's so important to be givers. And he's still not commanding, he's encouraging and as we read this text, we're going to see three Christ-centered reasons why we should be longing to excel in giving. Let's open our Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, an actual hardcover paper Bible, we have been back on that table. Maybe you even have one at home if you'd like to borrow one, or if you don't have one, you'd like to take it with you. It's our gift to you. We'd love to be able to put that into your hands this morning. But let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Forgive me, I'm trying to do what I need three hands to do up here. We're going to get through it. This is Paul speaking again to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're in verse 7. And Paul says to them, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. This is Paul's first reason for us to be givers, saying if excelling in giving displays God's grace. As Dan taught last week, Paul was writing this to a church in Corinth, but hundreds of miles away in Jerusalem, that church was having a very tough time. There was a lot of persecution, they had lost homes, they had lost jobs and incomes, and indeed the very finances they had saved were gone because of this persecution. And at the same time, there was a famine going on. So food was in very short supply and they didn't have money to buy that food anyway. So they were hurting very bad. And this church in Corinth had pledged. They said, we want to help out. We'd like to help our hurting brothers and sisters. But they had fallen short because they had yet to come through on that pledge. And what Paul wants them to see this morning is that they're missing out on experiencing God's grace fully in this area of their life. But Paul doesn't berate them for this, he's just gently reminding them that they've experienced grace in so many other areas of their life, they're missing out if they don't follow through in this area as well. Again, third hand, bear with me. Paul, he's a master disciple maker. He learned from the best. He learned from Jesus, the master maker of disciples. And he's going to show us a little bit of what he's got in his toolbox here this morning as he helps people grow in following the words and ways of Jesus. And he's showing us that one of the things he uses is encouragement. And the other thing he uses is challenge. So he starts with encouragement when he's writing to this church in Corinth. But encouragement isn't enough by itself because if you just encourage somebody, they're going to feel really good about what they're doing, but it's not going to give them the push to do more. So to combat that, Paul sprinkles in a little bit of motivation. We'll see him combine encouragement and a motivating challenge to give them a pat on the back to say you're doing a really good job, but also a little bit of a nudge to move them in the right direction. And the way Paul encourages them toward this call is by first acknowledging the great strides that they've made in this Christian walk, in this walk with Jesus. And in verse 7, he organizes these Christian hallmarks into two distinct groups. Two? Two. Groups of three. Let's take a look at the first group. And it's centered around spiritual gifts that Paul's been preaching about the entire time and encouraging them. He's saying, okay, you got faith. That's great. Faith is paramount. It's the number one thing. We know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you got that on lockdown. The second one, he tells them, you got speech. That's great too. What he's saying is, You have the ability to communicate what you know to other people. You have the ability to share the truths of God to other people. That's two things you've got. And then he goes further by saying you've got knowledge. You've learned and you can recall the things of God that you've learned. You can speak them to others because you have faith. So this first group of three, you guys got it wrapped up. You're doing great. And then he goes into the second group. The second group of three attributes starts with earnestness. He says, yep, you guys have earnestness as well. You're doers. You like to go in and get your hands dirty for the church. The second thing in the second group of 3 is a love for the church. They have that on display. They made a commitment. We want to help. We truly love these people. However, the third outward act in this second group of 3 is incomplete. They need motivation in this area. They were failing to totally put God's grace on display in this area of generous giving. I had a young fella. He was probably 30. I can call that young now. He worked with me, worked for me actually at work. And in the morning, I would line him up with tasks to do, very specific tasks pertaining to inventory. So it was a very important thing he was doing. Say, so You got to do this and this. And the whole time, he would say, I know, I know. Well, you got to do it like this and like this because it's very important. I know. I know. The problem is when you would circle back around to him several hours later, either it wasn't done right or it wasn't done at all. He was saying, I know, but he wasn't following through to prove that he knew. And Paul is motivating us similarly here. We may know in our heads that it's important to give, but if we're not following through, we're confining God's grace to only a portion of our lives. And that's not what his grace is intended to do. His grace is intended to be holistic and transform us completely. But Paul's telling us that there's a holdout area in our lives. And that's the way we handle our finances. Because when we're willing to give our money and our time and our resources to help others, we put the transforming grace of Jesus Christ on display for the world to see. And as we excel in that giving, we display God's grace. But it also displays genuine love. Let's go back to our Bibles. Second Corinthians 8, this time in verse 8. Paul says, I say this to you not as a command." but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. This is our second reason for giving that Paul's giving us this morning is excelling in giving displays genuine love. Paul's still speaking with a very soft tone here this morning in verse 8. And he says what he's doing is he's bringing them an opportunity for them to prove that their love is genuine. Do You remember a couple weeks back, When we finished off that Olivet discourse, we talked about the sheep and the goats. One of the defining factors of the sheep at the end of time when Jesus separated, the defining factor of those who believe is that their works proved their faith. Paul's telling us something very similar here this morning. It's the action that sprouts from the desire to give that proves that our faith is genuine. And you can see Paul uses the phrase, the earnestness of others. He's reminding them that the Macedonians have done this. He's using them as an example to say, they had very little. The Macedonians were even more poor than you are. And they went above and beyond. They gave even more than they probably should have to help bless that church in Jerusalem. The Corinthians and us should follow that Macedonian example. giving. And that's because what we do with our money is a real way of showing the condition of our hearts. Jesus makes this connection in Luke 12, 34. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus connects our hearts and our money because what we do with our money truly reflects the condition of our hearts. Money doesn't have morality. Money is amoral. It's not good and it's not evil. It simply shows the heart of the person who is holding it or spending it or saving it. Money paints the picture of what we truly love. It can be said that if you want to see somebody's priorities what they truly value, you can look at their calendar or you can look at their bank account. Ultimately what we do with our time and what we do with our money reveals what we truly love and what we prioritize. People can say that they want to live generously, they can say they want to give to the poor, they want to fight injustice or care for the hurting, and it's really easy to say these things. But what if people could look at your calendar? What if people could break out your checking ledger? What if we took a deep dive into the way we spend our time and our money, what would that reveal? The Corinthians had a desire to help. In fact, they had made a pledge that they were going to help, but they fell short of putting that into action. And we can easily do that very same thing. But when we actually connect those two, when we connect the desire and the action, that's where genuine love is best displayed. And as Paul is calling us to put that action into place, he doesn't want to give us a guilt trip. That will not glorify God. That doesn't add fruit to our lives or build the kingdom. Paul's desire is to use this to build to the most important thing, his most important point here. That's in verse 9. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's our third reason for giving this morning. Excelling in giving displays the gospel. This is the third climactic point that Paul is bringing to us from the scripture this morning, and it's his ultimate reason that we should be giving. It's something they already know it's something the Corinthians know. It's something you know, and that's salvation by grace alone. What Paul means when he says that they already know this grace is that they have great faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, "Hey guys, you have faith that was in the list. Remember, you've got this faith, but take let's take a closer look at what Jesus did for the sake of you by becoming poor He made you rich with salvation. He's saying, let that sink in for a second and motivate you to give. When Paul's speaking of Jesus becoming poor, what he's pointing to is the incarnation. And that's just a theological word that talks about Jesus becoming human and ultimately dying for our sins. That is the ultimate model of giving. Jesus becoming human is astounding when we stop and really think about it. And sometimes we need to stop. Sometimes we need to take a second and consider that. Because we can get casual or we can get lazy with the idea of God dying for us. Would you agree with that? We can get to the point, Jesus died for my sins, I'm saved. When the truth of that is mind-blowing. This is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, living in the glories of heaven who would willingly give all of that up to come to earth to be like his creation. In Philippians 2, Paul paints a beautiful picture of this for us. He says to the church in Philippi, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Paul is highlighting here the incredible lengths that Jesus would go to for our sake. And the disparity between God in heaven, the creator of everything, And a despised, beaten, bloodied man hanging on the cross, church, that should shock us every morning. Because if we were to dial it down a notch to the level of this world, and we were to say somebody like multi billionaire Elon Musk was going to give up all of his riches, he was going to give up making Teslas and give up building SpaceX rockets, and he was going to give all that up and go into the inner city and live a life of serving the poor in anonymity, we would say, gosh, that doesn't make sense. It seems like he's giving up so much to accomplish so little. Yet the reality of Jesus ultimately being crucified is infinitely more shocking than a billionaire giving up his money. It's the glories of heaven exchanged for the pain and temptation and trials of this earth. And it's the one who created life and breathe life into us who's receiving the penalty of death. Why would Jesus do this? Paul tells us in verse 9, he says, so that we might become rich. Not financially rich, because there's no way we can put a price tag on the redemption of our souls. He's saying that while you can't measure it in dollars, we have become infinitely rich because we've been blessed by the sacrifice of Christ. And one of the core realities of that gospel, of that good news, is the exchange that takes place when we put our faith in Jesus. Because we come with nothing. We come bringing him sin, certain death, abject poverty, but Jesus exchanges all of that for us. He took that sin and gave us his righteousness or his perfect standing before God. He took that certain death that we brought him and he gave us new, perfect life in him. And he takes that abject poverty that we bring to the table and he gives us the riches of heaven. If you have faith in Jesus Christ this morning, if you trust in him as your savior, don't be numb or complacent about that beautiful exchange. Stand amazed at what he's done for you. And if you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, know that you can be part of that great exchange too. Even though you have nothing to bring to him, he asks for nothing. He suffered and died for you. And when you come to him in faith, just like they proclaim this morning before they walk through the waters of baptism, I have faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died for my sins. You too can take part in that exchange. Back to Paul's ultimate point in this text this morning is that the simple, beautiful truth of the good news should be the reason, the core reason that motivates us to give. When we understand this, when we truly wrap our minds around all that we've received, we give as a natural outpouring of thanksgiving for what he's done for us. And when we do that, we light that grace of God up like a marquee billboard for the whole world to see. Because when we're willing to give up a little bit of our material possessions, when we're willing to make ourselves a little bit less rich, that somebody else can be a little bit less poor, we display the reality of that great exchange that was given to us by Jesus. The generosity in the Christian giving money is a beautiful display of the generosity of our Lord who gave his life. Now the world tells us something completely different. The world says we should take our money like a fullback breaking through the line, right? Take it right here and cover it. Everybody wants a piece of it. Don't let it out. Or take that money and hold it in a clenched fist so that none of it escapes. But the Bible, God's word says otherwise. It says we can take that clenched fist and open it up. We can hold our possessions with that open hand, with full faith in God, knowing that this action of releasing even a little bit humbles us, lifts others up, and proclaims the glories of God to a world that desperately needs to see it. Because giving provides to people who are in need, it helps people, and it highlights God's grace. So in a world that we live in, that focuses on greedily piling up money in piles like Scrooge McDuck so you can do the backstroke through it, God's grace comes along and flips that script upside down and tells us there is a much greater purpose to our money. That's why we have to seek and pray toward excelling in giving. So Is that it? Could we just end the sermon here and walk away? I think if we did, we'd be missing... A very important piece and that's a question that we need to ask ourselves today and that question is what does it look like for me to excel in giving not us as a group what does it mean for me to excel in that way well to excel in giving means to abound to keep doing to get better at but here's the deal we're all at very different points in our giving journey. For each of us to excel in giving might mean we need to take different steps. So I think the question we need to ask this morning is how can I take one step forward in obedience in my life? If we're going to excel, we have to move forward. Maybe baby steps is applicable. Because to excel at anything takes action. It takes a step forward. So what does it look like for you to take a step forward in this area of giving? Maybe you've never given at all. And you're thinking, now's a good time that I could start in a very small way to be obedient to God in this area of giving. Praise the Lord if that's something you're considering doing. For others, maybe you've been giving for a while now. God has been growing you in this area, but maybe he's changing your focus to a certain ministry or maybe somebody who's hurting that you know of or a family that needs help. I'd encourage you to follow his lead in that area. Or maybe God has led you over hills and through valleys in this giving and you feel like you're a veteran. Could it be today that he wants you to take another step forward and apply that beautiful giving to a different to a bigger area in your life? If we are excelling in giving, we are continually growing in how we give. So let me encourage you today, no matter where you are, no matter if you've given very little in your life or if you live a life of giving, to simply take another step forward. Like Paul encouraged the Corinthians to turn their desire into action, let us encourage you to make giving A regular action in your life and as you begin to move that needle as you begin to move giving to the top of your list of priorities understand that you put the grace and glory of Jesus Christ on display to this world when you do it and Lord that's our desire this morning we thank you for what you've shown us in your word we pray that you would be active in our hearts and in our lives. Show us a way to take a step forward. Show us a way where we can be obedient to you with our finances, with our time, with our resources, in a way that brings great glory to you. Lord, we're so thankful for what we saw this morning, people walking through the waters of baptism, saying, I give my life completely to you And we say, Father, if there is anybody out here who does not know you as their Savior, that they would not wait. That today would be that day when they trust in you completely. When their souls are secure in your embrace. Oh God, we're so thankful for that. Thank you for being a God who gives. And may we give as an outpouring of gratitude for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.